listening to Female VC Lab, a podcast that showcases the journeys of female investors. My name is Barbara Bickham, and I am an award-winning CTO and VC that teaches companies and investors about emerging technology. I am sitting down with female VCs and investors to talk about their funds, how they invest, and how they make an impact. Welcome to the Female VC Lab Podcast. I have Allison here. Allison, in one line, give me your name, your title, and the name of your fund. Hi, my name is Allison Ryu, and I am a partner at Able Partners, an early stage investment fund focused on health and well-being. Wonderful. What inspired you to become a venture capitalist? I think hindsight is often 2020. If you were to ask me at the start of my career, VC wasn't necessarily on my radar. After finishing my investment banking program at JP Morgan, I started my career as a later stage private equity investor, which requires a pretty different skill set than VC. During my chapter in private equity at TSG Consumer, I spent a year as an operator at one of their portfolio companies. And it was really through that experience that I recognized how much I enjoyed building. I started to think about the stage of investing that better aligned with or allowed me to be closer to the build. And it's ultimately what drew me to earlier stage investing in VC. In my current role today, I feel fortunate to have the opportunity to wear an investment hat in a lot of my day-to-day responsibilities. But I also work very closely with the incredible founders in our portfolio that are building day-to-day. And in many ways at this early stage, I see myself as an extension of their teams. And I'm very grateful that I get to spend my days working alongside founders who are ultimately solving some of the world's most pressing issues and categories that we care deeply about at ABLE. That's wonderful. What is your investment thesis and the motivation behind the thesis? Able Partners, as I mentioned, is focused on health and well-being, and we support early-stage companies that are building brands in positive living, so helping individuals live healthier, happier, and more meaningful lives. We seek to partner with companies that are closing the wellness gap. So this is a term that we have defined as the delta that you can actually quantify that has grown pretty dramatically over the past few decades. Mm -hmm. So when we think about economic indicators, our GDP per capita as a proxy, the money in our pocket, for lack of a better way to describe it, that has largely gone up into the right in the U.S. over the last few decades. During that same time period, unfortunately, our measures of overall well-being, our physical and our emotional health have largely declined or stagnated in that same time period. And if that's we were to graph a, that's that so out, weird. If you think we about that logically, there's right? A literal gap. That just sounds so weird, right? We have more money and more time, or more clearly we don't have more time, and we're probably more stressed. And then we have more other issues. That's so odd. 
So much of our work at ABLE is thinking about that gap and how we can address it. And so we are actively investing in the large and underserved markets where there has been overlooked, often stigmatized consumers, communities, and conditions. And as a result, you'll see throughout our portfolio, we have been very active in categories such as mental health, women's health, metabolic health, elder care, and the broader caregiving ecosystem. And to tie it together, if it's helpful, we really talk about our investment mandate across four pillars. So the first is around disruptive healthcare. The second is the care economy. The third is around consumer well-being. And the fourth is in anything related to connection and community. Oh, okay. That's good to know. I think that's helpful. What are you currently reading or learning or listening to these days? In terms of learning, I admit that I have jumped on the generative AI bandwagon as an eager student, very much a novice, but very interested in learning more. Generative AI is not chat GPT. (laughs) (laughs) And while it is certainly relevant across many of our areas of investment focus at ABLE, we've actually been spending more time learning about it in terms of how it could be integrated into some of our day-to-day investment workflows, Mm -hmm. our processes more efficient. Yes. And so we're really interested in the application as it relates to how it impacts day-to-day life within a VC firm. Yes. Uh, we're additionally, well in our firm. We're heavy about to We'll have to just trade ideas and no. We'll have to trade because yeah, we can't do another diligence by hand I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to put the AI on it now. <laughs> In terms of reading, I consume a lot of daily content and newsletters, but I really love books and wanted to share one that I was recently gifted. It's called Super Founders by Mm -hmm. Ali Thomas-Seb. It came out a few years ago, so it's not a net new release. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is because right now we are having a number of internal conversations about how we can utilize the comprehensive data set we've now collected across our portfolio to identify patterns related to founder profiles or characteristics Mm -hmm. that are more likely to be correlated with success. And Super Founders is really a book about this. It studies, I think it's 30,000 data points that the author has collected across different factors Mm -hmm. and interviewed a lot of the billion dollar startup founders to essentially draw some conclusions across a very large N. And some of them are actually counterintuitive. I haven't finished the entirety yet, but one of the interesting findings, for example, is that across billion-dollar startups, being first to market in a certain category doesn't happen. didn't really matter. Exactly. Yeah. Or being a founder that is innovating with prior industry experience in the category you're building in yes. doesn't necessarily correlate with unicorn outcomes. So there's a lot of interesting, I think, assumptions that VC tends to make about certain founder profiles that in many instances with this data set are actually proven to be incorrect. Wow. Which just goes to show, right? We were talking about AI and then with what you do in the healthcare, I'm sure there's a lot of data being collected. Yes. Just goes to show the power of data and how we can really utilize it to erase some of our thinking or reimagine how we think things should be, which is powerful. It's very powerful. 
And I think in terms of listening, I want to call out, I appreciate your podcast. And I've well, thank learned you. A lot. I appreciate that. I've learned a lot from the guests. I also spend a lot of time in the world of health and wellness. So I listen mm-hmm. to Peter Atia and okay. his podcast, which features a number of experts, the Huberman Lab, which is led by Dr. Huberman out of Stanford. I also enjoy Liz Moody's podcast called Healthier Together. This explores many of the broader health and well-being trends that underpin our work at ABLE. And you'll notice that many of the episodes she hosts are really around how to help individuals live healthier, happier, and more meaningful lives. From everything we eat to the relationships we cultivate and the community we're part of, I really enjoy each of her episodes. That sounds very uplifting. So... In two years, this is a bonus question, by the way. In two years, when we're talking, but I'm sure we'll be talking before then, how do you see venture capital or investing having changed or evolved? Hmm. It's a great question. And I actually think if you were to ask, have asked me a year ago, the answer would have been different. I think due to the ever-evolving macro environment hmm. that we find ourselves in today, I think there will be even more fragmentation in the VC landscape between two different types of funds. Mm -hmm. So the first being very large generalist platforms with very significant AUM. Yes. And large teams to support it. The the mega funds. The The mega mega funds. Multi-stage. Yes. Behemoths. Yes. The second being... Think of it as specialist fund that tend to be thesis driven with a very specific stage or sector expertise that they bring to the table in terms of their value add and angle. And I think over this two year period, we may see more movement away from the behemoth style. The mega funds. The mega funds. Mega funds. We know who they are. The mega funds. The specialist end of the spectrum. As we think about how you have to differentiate with LPs, with founders, with other investors, in being able to bring a very specific expertise to the table. And I actually think that overall shift will be positive for the ecosystem to have more specific expertise and clarity around value add for the founders in the ecosystem who are deciding on critical partners that they are, that they will work with. Yeah. I think founders, absolutely. Some of the evolution, which is, it's interesting. You brought up the super founder book because I think some of the evolution too, is that founders have a lot more choice in who they work with and what the real value add is. And they can look at a mega fund and go, what real value am I going to get from this mega fund? Or am I just going to be one of like many fish? Or like you said, can I now go to a more specialized fund, which may be a little smaller, but they have more kind of higher touch, I'll put it that way, ability to handle founders. And then there are not as many of them either, right? So as much as ever, all of us would love to have a billion dollar AUM, right? Who, who wouldn't want to want to do that? That's a lot of money to deploy. (laughs) That's a lot of money to deploy. You have to have a lot of companies. You have to have a lot of, you're going to deal with a lot of founders. Like you said, there's a lot of other infrastructure that you have to create for that. It's a non-trivial thing to think about. Wow, like it sounds nice in theory. However, in practicality, how do you really handle that as as a fund? Absolutely. I also think because I know you will likely in two years from now, look back at these episodes and see who talked about what. 
I don't think we can close this episode without talking about generative AI, because well, I think there will be a significant impact I on mean, the VC ecosystem in the next two years. AI in general is going to have impact in all of life. And let's see, I think we just talked about this in the last thing I was discussing. I had a discussion about generative AI. Like, what is it really? And it's not, ChatGPT doesn't generate anything, right? It answers questions in essence. It has a large corpus of data. And so really... It's interesting in the content perspective because I am working with some content companies. And if you think about from content side, what is what does that mean from an intellectual property capability, right? I create an original work of something. It could be an image. It could be music. It could be a video. And now somebody has generated a derivative work of this content or this creation or let's even say i wrote a bunch of code and now i have a derivative work of that what does that mean this is what all this writer strikes and other movie things are the content creators are having the issues with it's what is really an original work now what is real intellectual property now this is a big question i think that's spot on because every company in our portfolio that we meet in a pitch they are thinking about ways to integrate this broader AI into mm -hmm. their product roadmap. And I think Which the question great. that will play out is what is actually differentiated? What is Correct. unique IP? How does Correct. it actually help things scale? And I think this question of the ethics, the misinformation, yes. the, the bias. ownership. Ownership that, is another one. Yes. That you have alluded to will certainly have to be addressed. And I'm not sure that will be fully solved in the two years that the question frames, but oh. I think it will be very prevalent over the course of the next 24 months as a lot of yes. this is figured out. And so as venture capitalists, I'm glad we're having this conversation on the podcast because I think as venture capitalists, we have to be mindful too of who is building all this stuff, right? Who's really coming and who are we looking at to build all these things? Are we looking at the same types of people? And then they're bringing in certain things and it's cool, right? Okay, I can create these, I can create things, but what does that really mean in the longer run? And is there, are there voices that aren't being heard in this generative AI or AI area that need to be heard? Because if not, we're building things that won't be, they'll be exclusionary. And that's how I put it, exclusionary. A hundred percent. It speaks to the importance of representation in the baseline mm -hmm. data. Yes. And a lot of the instances here require diversity of data yes. that, as we both know, in fields that I work in healthcare, Absolutely for example, in healthcare, 100%. it doesn't exist. Completely missing. <laughs> Completely missing. Yes. So, yeah. Such an opportunity. It's a big opportunity, but it's also, we also have to weigh it against who's building. And it's very important for us to look at that from a data side, from a builder side, from all the different levels. But I'm glad we're both going to be using AI in our funds because it's important. It is. I think it will change behavior across all sectors. Absolutely. And I think we have to keep up. Yeah, if we, yeah, we absolutely have to keep up or else we'll be left behind. <laughs> Even as VCs. And so like, that's also the thing about the mega fund, right? Like what we were discussing earlier, are they really going to be able to keep up with all this? I don't know. They have a lot of overhead. Kind of that lean think, startup thing works for a fund as well, in essence, right? It does. On the other hand, I would give the mega funds credit for having the meaningful budgets and financial yes. ability to invest a lot in AI integration, workflow, implementation, et cetera. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out across different fund strategies. Yes.
It's going to be super interesting the next couple of years. Absolutely. How do people contact you? I am always excited to meet founders, investors, operators in who are share our interests in terms of what we work on at ABLE. We have a team email address, info at ablepartners.nyc, which is accessible on our website. And I'm always available to connect via LinkedIn and Twitter as well. Wonderful. We'll have to connect on Twitter. Yes. And LinkedIn as well. It's so, such a pleasure to spend time with you, Barbara. Yes. Thank you so much. Allison Ryu from Able Partners for being my guest on the Female VC Lab podcast. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Trail and Ventures. Find and invest in the next billion dollar emerging tech company. Sign up for our exclusive content at https colon slash slash trailin T-R-A-I-L-Y-N.com to find out more. Find us on Apple on Spotify and on Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening.